and welcome to episode 26 of Girl Mode. I'm one of your hosts, Robin B. And I am Willow Rowe. Before we get into what that means, I do want to point out, this is episode 26, which mm-hmm. means this is actually six months of girl mode. Oh. I said last week that 24 was half of the year because mm-hmm. I can't do math, mm-hmm. which is why I became a writer. But there's 52 weeks in a year, as far as I can tell. So 26, this is girl mode's sixth anniversary. I didn't get you anything. Oh, oh no, that's okay. I have your company and that is enough. A lot of people would disagree with that, but yeah. um, thank you very much. So this week, I'm excited about it. I know I was a real bitch about it last week, but yeah, but this month, it's, this week, it's exciting. It's a big, um, it's a big deal. It's crazy. It's it does feel like a big deal. It's like six months is a lot. It also means that we're coming up on a year since we've known each other. You know? Yeah, I guess so. That'll be I another mean, not thing, that so. close, right? Next month. Is it next month? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. Wow. I thought you started like way later than that. No, I guess it was May. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Holy shit. How the time has flown. For real. What an, what an occasion. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we, <laughs> so we had this idea for the thing that's about to happen for a while. <laughs> the thing we're about to do to you. <laughs> we had this idea for a while and we were just like, this will be fun to do. And then suddenly it became topical. Mm-hmm. One thing that I know about you, Willa, because mm-hmm. you have told me about it many times <laughs> with zero prompting, is that you love the X-Men. Hell Yeah. I don't know anything about the Mm X-Men. I know that um, I saw the X-Men movie when I was a kid, and I had a crush on Rogue and Storm. And I know that, um, I don't know, that's pretty much the major ones, things that I know. Uh, But you know a lot more things than that. Mm -hmm. And so for a while, we've wanted to do an episode where you explain the X-Men to me. This has nothing to do with video games, so just... (laughs) Sorry if you know that's this there is are this X-Men is what video we're doing games. this week. There are X Men video. Oh, I do know about that too. I used to play that arcade game a lot. Mm-hmm. That's the second thing that I know about X Men. But this it suddenly became relevant in the worst and funniest way <laughs> this week when a senator named Webster Barnaby, which is a the fakest sounding name I've ever heard a senator have. It's literally uh, like an X Men villain name. Yes, if you wanted to have like an evil president in the X Men, you would name him Webster Barnaby. Mm-hmm. He's a he's a Republican in Florida, which tells you basically everything you already need to know. But he went on this like unbelievably unhinged rant where he he well he called trans people demons and imps, which is mm-hmm. like boring and played out, and ever everybody already does that. But the fun part of his insane rant was calling us like was saying trans people are like de- are like mutants from the X Men, and also implying that the X Men are from another planet. Which was a fun little wrinkle. It was also like a great moment of having no media literacy because like, yes, yes. the mutants are <laughs> like trans people. They're always right. a stand in for marginalized people. But he's like, no, yes, because they are bad. We should yeah. exterminate them. Yeah. The funny part is that he was right. But the conclusion he reached was that, that the X-Men apparently in his mind is about a group of like loathsome perverts who mm-hmm. should be annihilated. So all I have to say about that is uh, Magneto was right. And Robin, Absolutely. that's going to make sense in a few hours. <laughs> no, I think that already makes sense. I think okay. I, I agree. I yes. Ready to join the separatist movement. Perfect. Anyway, not because of that, but that's that that kind of made this the thing we wanted to do this week. Mm-hmm. This episode is going to be a s- 
kind of a mess, I'm imagining. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's going to be Willa trying to explain the X-Men to me, yeah. which is a comic that has like a 70 year history at this point. And like, we're going to see how long this takes. This might be more than one part. <laughs> it's almost certainly going certainly. to be because we only we only have a couple of hours to record and we only want the episodes to be like an hour mm-hmm. around max. So there's almost no way we're going to make basically any headway on this. But with that, like 45 minutes of preamble, we just did hit me. Well, uh... OK, so we're starting in 1963. <laughs> okay. Stanley, sure, you've heard of him. Yeah. And Jack Kirby. Familiar. Uh-huh. Sure, you've heard of him. Yes. They sit down and they're trying to think of like, what's the next group comic we have at Marvel? What group comics did they have at that point? They had like the Fantastic Four. Okay. Um, they had, you know, characters from the Avengers and all that stuff. They had the Hulk at this point. They had Spider-Man, although that's not a team. But they were like, we need something new. So Stanley has this idea and he's like, listen, we can't always have, you know, radiated spiders biting people. We can't just go to ga- gamma radiation for everything. So I'm going to come up with this new thing called mutants. Yeah. Gamma radiation was like the blaming trans people of of the 60s. It was just any any time you needed a you were running out of ideas. You just came up with that. So he comes up with this idea for this pitch of a group called the mutants and the higher ups don't like the name. So he changes it to the X-Men. And in 1963, X-Men number one is published. And this is first one in the X-Men series. And basically the cover of it is these five kids all in these black and yellow uniforms Uh they're swinging in and they're attacking this guy in red with a purple cape that's magneto we'll we'll talk a lot about him fun fact at this point magneto is known as magnus that's his real name although over time he will get multiple names including eric and max eric's the most known can you send me this picture you're describing to me yeah i can send you a picture thank you I want you to send me a lot of supplemental material throughout this Got episode. It. So I'm like up to speed with you. Here's the first cover. Sending it now. Hmm. So Jack Kirby was into feet, huh? <laughs> he was the Quentin Tarantino of the time. <laughs> so basically on the cover, you have all these people. You have the guy in wings. That is Warren Worthington. He is Angel. I know him. His power is that he has big fucking bird wings. Mm-hmm. Do you want to know a fun Period. fact about me, my relationship to Angel? Sure. I didn't know his name was that. When I was in high school, my friends and I sometimes used to make costumes to go to movie premieres because we mm-hmm. were giant dorks. And for the X-Men, the third X-Men movie that ended up being terrible, all of my friends had already claimed the good X-Men and I knew that Angel was going to be in it. So I made a functional pair of wings that were like on a um, like a pulley thing yeah, so, so could i could like actually extend. like flap and extend them mm-hmm. which was like not really functional while we were seeing a movie but i was it was also very cool i spent like hours hot gluing wings to this thing it was fun. warren is a great character the movies did him so dirty both yes, versions of, of him in the movies I did him so dirty very embarrassed to be wearing that costume by the end of that movie yeah, yeah. so you got warren worthington he is angel his power is he has big fucking wings mm-hmm. period that's it Good he power. just flies like a bird so then you got the other guy who's swinging in and he's got big fucking feet. That's Hank McCoy. This is Beast. That's no, not this. Exactly. This might confuse you because he does not look <laughs> big and blue and furry. Uh-huh. Put a and pin in that. We'll get to that. It doesn't sound like Kelsey Grammer. I can't tell, but I'm guessing. You don't know. 
Then you got in the background, you got the girl in red hair. This is Marvel Girl or Jean Grey. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I assumed it was Jean Grey. I like her pose. It's very... Yeah, it's pretty great. Then you got, you know, the guy bursting lasers out of his face. That is Scott Summers. Laser man, of course. That is the biggest wet blanket in comics, uh, Cyclops. Uh-huh. And then you got the literal snowman throwing a snowball at Magneto. That is Bobby Drake. That is Iceman. Oh boy, is Iceman going to be a fun thing to talk about much later. Really? All I know about Iceman is that he was played by the guy who was in the Animorphs show. Oh in my the movie. god. He, I didn't know that that actor was in the Animorphs TV show. Yeah, he was like the main guy, I think. Okay. Okay, and they're all attacking Magneto, who as we know, Magneto is the leader of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, which Great why name. would you brand yourself that way? Incredible branding. We I should think it's change great. the name of our podcast to the Sisterhood of Evil Podcasters. <laughs> this is a good idea. And Magneto is just, he's bad. So the X-Men, they are under the tutelage of Charles Xavier, who is the bald dude in a wheelchair, and he mm-hmm. runs Xavier, the Xavier Institute for Gifted Youngsters, which is in Westchester, New York. And it's just these five kids. Oh. At this time, that's all it is. He just found these five fuckers and was like, perfect, let's go. So did he call it a school in order to avoid the like... It must be a tax weird... write-off, right? Yeah, okay. Just to make it seem less weird that he was just living with these five kids that he presumably found somewhere. Well, it's because he didn't want to tell people that they were mutants. Because well, mutants sure. not, not, were not happy with them. So basically, in 1963, the X-Men start. And this original run... While it has like the introduction of some iconic characters, like, for example, you'll meet Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. They show up at some point, but they Mm -hmm. don't get their big day. You meet Polaris, my favorite X-Men character. She doesn't get her day in the sun here. You meet a lot of these people, but overall, the X-Men storyline at this point is just kind of like, really, it's garbage. (laughs) <laughs> and that That's happens so great. <laughs> yes yeah no it sounds great i love garbage i mean yeah it's not it's not very good and basically for seven years until 1970 stanley and jack kirby they're they're doing x-men and you know they it's it doesn't sell well so at this point is the x-men story is it basically like any other superhero comic where they're just like busting bank robbers who have like big sacks with dollar bills on them or is it like Honestly, it's like, mostly what do they do? mostly they just fight Magneto. Okay. So they're just really bad at fighting Magneto. They're just really bad at fighting Magneto. Okay, cool. So really all you need to know about this era of X-Men, which we call like the original run, mm-hmm. is that it is so surface level. Nobody gets good characterization. The villain is uninteresting. Magneto is not an interesting character right now. Nobody matters. This is all kind of crap. And then in 1970... <laughs> They stopped the X-Men. Oh. And for five years until 1975, no new X-Men stories happen. So it's wow. basically like, it seems like they're dead. Like yeah, nobody cares. Yeah, the school was defunded. Yeah, they, re, they republish like these issues all through these five years, but they're not making any new issues. Um, they're not continuing the story. And then in 1975, a man named Chris Claremont shows up on the scene. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be a big fucking deal. Yeah, I've heard about this man yes, from you. Exactly. So in 1975, 
Chris Claremont, he writes Giant Size X Men number one. Wait. And this is. Wait. <laughs> I, have... I have a question. Yes. Why is it called Giant Size X Men number one? You see, they. I'm pr- assuming it's a very long. You issue see, they of printed X-Men. it on giant paper. It's just bigger than comics. Bigger than usual comments. I can't tell if you're joking. I know. I see your face and it's so funny to me that you, like, you couldn't tell I'm joking. It's just a long issue. Because why? Why do they do a long issue of this comic that nobody liked? Because it's a relaunch. They're trying to get people back. This time it's good. Yes. Okay. Basically, that's what happening is Chris Claremont was pulled in as the writer for this. And this was Marvel's, like, this was their idea to relaunch the X-Men and get people actually interested. Mm-hmm. And I'm still picturing a giant issue of X Men now. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so basically, what happens is the heads at Marvel they say, "Do you know what the problem with the X Men was? It's that they were all these waspy kids mm-hmm. who are annoying. Nobody cares about them. Not so they enough. tell Chris, yeah, they're not they're not all the queer fruity people that we come to love. Um, although this is oh wait." I have to back up before we get into okay. giant size X-Men. There is a story arc oh. that we're going to touch on. You need to go on. back to regular size X-Men? Yes, uh, regular normal size X-Men. There is a story arc that we're going to touch on briefly. The original X-Men run, there is a time when the X-Men get transported to the future. This isn't really touched on in the original comic, although it is there. But it's not a deep mm-hmm. thing. They just end up coming back. However, in the 2010s, a man named Brian Michael Bendis creates a story mm-hmm. called All New X-Men where the the original X-Men in their teens, this is when they're all in their teens, they get plucked from their timeline and they get sent to the future to the modern X-Men comics in the 2010s. Fun. So put a pin in that. Yeah. <laughs> also, put a pin in the idea of the original X-Men not being fruity because Brian mm. Michael Bendis might have things to say about that. <laughs> So anyways, Chris Claremont, giant size X-Men, he's like, everybody's too waspy. What we need is we need to make the X-Men internationally appealing. So we're going to create a new team and they're going to be cool. <laughs> they're going to be cool. The cool what we're gonna do. So this is the cover for giant size X-Men. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. It's that's cool. Bitchin'. It's still one of the best covers. It's it's basically, I'm going to describe it. It's a comic cover. And in the background, you see like a grayscale version of all the original five X-Men. But then mm. the comic is being burst out of in color. Oh, I see. And it's all these new characters. And so who you have on here is you have people like Storm, Colossus, Cyclops, Wolverine, Thunderbird, Nightcrawler, all these people. You lost me at Thunderbird. Oh, don't worry about him. Thunderbird will get killed in the second mission he appears in. Oh, okay. Never mind then. It's very tragic. That's my question. Yeah, Thunderbird is a character that people liked and then he got murdered immediately. Great. I can imagine this being very exciting if you were a person who was interested in this and being mm-hmm. like, oh shit, new X Men. And they're like, so was this team meant to is this like replacing the old team or are they like joining the team so here's what it is the plot of giant size x-men number one like the actual plot of the comic were there more giant size x-men's eventually okay what happened so then they just went so they went from giant size x-men number one to just giant size x-men number one (laughs) oh do you mean after giant size uh where did they go next like what's the next issue 
just regular X-Men number two? Uncanny X-Men. Okay, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So the way they brand the actual um, comic at this point is they turn it into Uncanny X-Men. Mm-hmm. So after Giant Size comes Uncanny. But basically the plot of Giant Size is that you have all the original five X-Men. So you got, mm-hmm. you know, Beast, Gene, Angel, Cyclops, Iceman. They get captured and stuck on a mutant island called Krakoa, the living island. Okay. What? I thought I was going to be able to guess the name because I've heard of it, but I definitely would not have guessed that. Krakoa is very important. Put a pin in that. Okay. So they get trapped on Krakoa. The only one who actually escapes is Cyclops. And he Mm -hmm. goes to Professor X and he's like, listen, bud, we need to get some people together to save the X-Men. Yes, Robin. How did did Cyclops escape? He seemed, it seems like if you have somebody who can fly, mm-hmm. that would be very useful for escaping an island. You'd it think. seems like Cyclops would be the least likely to escape, actually. Listen, Angel, his, literally, he has bird wings. That's it. Yeah. Uh, so many other mutants can fly and do something else. That's true. So, so how does Cyclops get out? He's the leader. Also, it's plotted away because the comic starts and he's escaped. Okay. So what happens then is you have him and Professor X are like, listen... We got to get some we got to get some kind of suicide squad together. <laughs> we got to kidnap some more kids. Yeah, we got to get new mutants um, to. Co- Sorry, I, I won't say new mutants yet. We have to get <laughs> new mutants is a different thing. Put a pin in it. So we're going to get these new characters to come in and they're going to save the original five. And then mm-hmm. you get an adult team like the original five are aged up now. They're grown. They're adults. And you get an adult team of new international X-Men. You have Nightcrawler, who is like German Romani. You have Thunderbird, who's Native American. You have Colossus, who is Russian. You have Storm, who's from Africa. Very nebulously so. Um, sure. The way that Africa existed in the mind of white people mm-hmm. in the 60s or 70s, mm-hmm. or probably now, to be honest. Yeah. And then you have Wolverine from the, you know, the distant Canada. Uh, although Wolverine was introduced in the Hulk comics, actually, but he becomes a X-Men character because Chris Claremont like just pulls him, which this happens a lot. Chris Claremont sees characters from other comics who aren't <laughs> so utilized. I want that one. And he basically is like, I want that one. Wait, um, what, what does he do in the Hulk comic? He fights the Hulk. Cool. He's just a short, stubby guy with claws who fights the Hulk. And then Chris Claremont is like, I love him. I'm going to take him. I'm going to give him a lot of trauma. <laughs> I'm going to give him a new home. So basically now what you have is this international group of X-Men and they come in and they rescue the original five. That's what happens in Giant Size X-Men, but it's a new status quo. We have a new team. They're like adults. They're international. They're cool. And we're going to go from there. And this starts to change the game. Chris Claremont will go down in history as the greatest X-Men writer ever, he is also the writer who has the longest run on X-Men. He hmm. writes X-Men in some form or another for roughly 30 years. That seems like a long time. Yeah. He basically, most of what we have for the X-Men, like, we owe to Chris Claremont. Uh-huh. Is this a... Is this... Willis theory or is this like the fans consensus this that is Chris consensus Claremont is like the guy okay if like without Chris Claremont the X-Men wouldn't matter mm-hmm. 
starting now, like before we get into some of the like iconic storylines that happen under Chris Claremont, here's what you need to know about Chris Claremont. Chris Claremont comes in and what makes him so special is he basically says, what if the X-Men are allegories for marginalized communities? We owe it all to, we owe that all to, to Chris Claremont. So he starts making these really interesting stories about being like, you know, the X-Men are actually allegories for marginalized communities. We're there international now. We're going to be able to like talk about large social issues. Um, He also, one of the characters that Chris Claremont loves the most and loves writing the most is Magneto. Has, has Chris Claremont talked about this? Like why that was important to him and like how, how this, it came to him that he was like, oh, these, these people are like very natural fits for being, because it seems now like the X-Men are like, oh, of course they're Mm -hmm. like these people who are born with these like, I don't know, it's like a genetic thing that makes them different from other people and the people hate them, but they're actually the X gene. I'm so sorry. Has he talked about like where that like I don't know, I'm him sure making he has that comes from for him. But um, one of the one of the reasons is actually um, and it, it links to Magneto is because Chris Claremont is oh. Jewish mm-hmm. and Chris Claremont become has an affinity for Magneto and Magneto before this time, as we talked about, he is a boilerplate villain. He has no importance. Chris Claremont is the one who comes in and makes Magneto who he is today. Namely, Chris Claremont is like, what if Magneto survived the Holocaust? And he was a he was a Jewish citizen of Germany who survived the Holocaust. And that influences his philosophy as a mutant, seeing mm-hmm. this all happen again. Is that part of like... When he starts his run, is that part of it? Or is that something that kind of comes in later? It comes in later because okay. Magneto isn't in Giant Size X-Men. Okay. But when you start seeing Magneto, he like you start getting this stuff and you learn about his history. Like he loses a child early on because he has a lot of families in the X-Men stories have extended families and children and all this stuff. Magneto is one of them. And then so were the so they're like Greek gods where there's just like they have 17 children with. Yes. Okay. Also alternate timelines, which we'll get into. Put a pin in that. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of I've got a lot of pins and things like a cork board with red thread. I, yeah, everywhere. I'm running out of pins. So basically, this is kind of Claremont's whole purpose is he wants to make complex stories. And one of the first things that really happens is he starts telling the story focused on Jean Grey. This will become the Phoenix Saga, which basically what happens is there's some complicated stuff happening, blah, blah, blah. And the X-Men are in their plane and they're coming down from space and because they go to space now. Wait, I know. Can I tell you what I know about the Phoenix story and you can tell me? This is going to be great because nobody has done a good adaptation of it except the animated series. No, really? Okay, well, good, I guess, is the operator Go there. Go for it, Because it was in one of the movies. There was the Phoenix. It was in, They did it twice again. Oh. And both times fine. they did it terribly. Okay. So what I know is, um, from the movies and just from Osmosis, is that Jean Grey is, like, inhabited by a creature from space called the Phoenix. So, and so it gives so her... She's already, like, a psychic, telekinetic, whatever mm-hmm. person. She is an Omega-level mutant. There are different levels of mutants, Robin. It seems like a problematic hierarchy. But it makes no sense. Trust me. So this space bird gives her... I'm picturing it as a bird because it's called the Phoenix, but it might not be. It but does look like a bird. this space bird makes her powers even better. 
she becomes Omega Plus or whatever. And then after a while, it's either evil or like it's just her her humanity makes it not able to like, I don't know, it fucks it up somehow. And she becomes evil and becomes Dark Phoenix. And she, I don't know what she's trying to do, but she does stuff that the rest of the mutants don't like. And then they probably kill her six or seven times because it's a comic book. Uh, and that's all I know. Okay. So uh, I did send you a picture of the Phoenix Force. It's very pretty. It is a bird. It's called um, the Phoenix Force? Yeah. It's a, it's so a, it's not a creature. It's like a phenomenon. Yes. It is a, it has a slight consciousness, but it's more of a, like a, uh, a force in space. It's like a Interesting. fundamental energetic entity and it's very linked to Jean forever. Okay. But basically what happens Wait, is she tries forever to forever because it infect it, because it merges with her and then it becomes, or is it like a thing that's like the faded, Phoenix we Force just has a lot of love for the Summers and Gray family. We'll get into it. What? That's like a gravity having a favorite person. You see this pin? <laughs> put put that Where's in the board. <laughs> okay. Okay. So Jean Grey, she gets, uh, she tries to save everybody. But what happens is the Phoenix Force actually comes and takes her over. She gets this all, all this new power. And for a little bit, it seems fine. She's just powerful. Mm-hmm. So basically, you know, that is just happening. And she's... She's very powerful, but suddenly there's some issues with her personality, and that does change. So eventually what happens is Jean Grey... So, okay, here's what happens. Chris Claremont has a storytelling ability, what he or tactic, and this kind of becomes the definitive... That's like his mutant power, his storytelling ability. <laughs> He's no mega-level comics writer. <laughs> and... Basically what Chris Claremont does, and he sets this storytelling method up for like, this is how all comics work now. And it's how a lot of storytelling works now. Like there are TV writers who say like, I looked to Chris Claremont's structure to like structure things because, you know, he's in this transition period of comics being like issue to issue kind of things to having larger story arcs. And he's the driving force behind that. And so what he does is he basically like he has week to week stupid plots like monster of the week kind of things. But subtly inside of those, there are these like little Easter eggs and plot lines being dropped all around. He starts eventually picking kind them up. Kind of like up. you're doing in this yeah. episode. He starts, he's leaving pins he's of leaving things. pins everywhere. And then he just pulls them out and everything <laughs> happens. And one of those things is in the lead up to the Phoenix Saga and the Dark Phoenix Saga, Professor Xavier, he has these dreams and he sees this woman in them, this kind of like alien looking woman. And... At the beginning of the Dark Phoenix saga, she appears to him. She actually shows up. And her name is oh god, what is it? Liana? Let me let me let me check. Let me check my back. Mm. Yeah, check your sources. This is going to be 100% uh, factual and fact-checked. Uh, Lalandra. Sorry. Lalandra. So you have Princess Lalandra, who's the uh she's the ruler of the Shi'ar Empire. Of course. Very important. So basically what happens is the Dark's Phoenix and and the Shi'ar are like this alien race and Lalandra comes and she warns Professor X. She's like, listen, we have dealt with the Phoenix Force a lot in our history. It's a it's a destructive force. It will take over Jean and it will turn her into an enemy and it will like wreak havoc on Earth and space in general. Mm -hmm. And Professor X is like, oh, that's rough. What should we do about it? And Lalandra's like, maybe you just kill her. Oh, maybe that's well, what we do. I don't know if 
Maybe we don't start with murdering teenagers. Is there like she's a- not a teenager at this point. Oh, I'm sorry. Jeez. She's grown I'm, up. Why um, would I know that? And so basically what happens is there's this whole like thing going on where the Dark Phoenix starts getting worse and worse. And it all leads to this confrontation on the moon in the blue area of the moon is what it's called. Wait, wait. The moon. I know the moon. There is you go. That, like, do they go to the X-Men go to the they moon to regularly? The moon. Not regularly. Well, now oh. now they do. They now they regularly go. <laughs> yeah, I mean the moon is old news now. Moon is old news. So and then you get this to happen. And basically, uh this is this is the cover costume, for one of though. the issues. Yeah, and it's like ripped up. This is the cover for um one of the X-Men issues for Dark Phoenix. It's the one that has Phoenix must die on it. And basically yeah. what happens here is the Shi'ar and the X-Men have this big confrontation and on the moon, they're on this area, this populated Shi'ar area of the moon. And the Phoenix goes crazy and she basically blows it up and she murders tons the whole moon? of Shi'ar on this area of the moon. Wait, first question, how did they get to the moon? Well, they're an alien spacefaring species. No, the, the X-Men. They flew up there in their ship. Also, the blue area is habitable. You know what? You're, that's fair. Uh, that was a stupid question. The blue area is habitable. Okay. Okay. So basically... Do people in this in the world know about the blue area, or is this a secret that only the X-Men know about? Um, At this point, it's kind of a secret. Uh-huh. And does she blow up the whole moon or just the blue area? Just blue area. Okay. And she kills all the, like, she are in this area. Okay. End of questioning. Yeah. Thank you. Counselor. <laughs> and so basically what happens is... um. There's a giant confrontation and Cyclops is, wants to protect Jean because he loves her. They're, they're a couple. At one point, Jean is kind of like, I, you know, this is bad. I just need to like stop. And what eventually happens is Jean dies. She dies in order to kind of get rid of the Phoenix Force. Mm-hmm. And that is the end of the Dark Phoenix saga. Wait, how does she die? She just does, man. What do you mean she just does? Okay, so basically... Is that a, mutant, is that a power that mutants have? They can just turn themselves off? <laughs> no. How does she just die? Okay, so basically what happens... Oh my god, I need to check the facts for this one. <laughs> okay, so basically... Uh, Okay, she activates a Kree weapon, who the Kree are not the Shi'ar, but they're another alien species. She activates a weapon that basically destroys her. Where did the weapon come from? It's Do just, the Shi'ar have it? Probably. The Shi'ar war with the Kree a lot. Okay, so they just like... And it's a weapon that just kills... It disintegrates Gene. Oh, God. Yeah, it, it like kills her. And so the Phoenix see, Force okay, no longer has a host and it like goes away. Oh, why doesn't it just have another, get into another host? Because it needs an Omega level, like, it needs someone special like that. Of course. And it's it's complicated. It doesn't get really fully explained. And the Phoenix Force will come back and, like, have more lore eventually. But she gets rid of it at this point. So, mm-hmm. and at this point, Jean dies. Rip. And so what happens is Cyclops, tragically, he's like, I just lost the love of my life. I am going to quit the X-Men. Oh. So at this point, there's mostly the old faces are kind of gone. You mostly have the new faces. And then... Cyclops opens a cafe. Oh, no. Cyclops, he is just... He goes and he cries a lot. Oh. 
like he just he can't get over her. Let me tell yeah, you. That makes sense. Cyclops, Scott, he will never get over Jean Grey. Mm-hmm. Ever. And you can this this is facts. We this will come up so much. So eventually what happens is immediately after that, a new plucky character shows up. Her name is Kitty. Kitty Pride. Yeah. Shadow Cat. She is amazing. And also around this time, because there's a plot line, basically the way that Kitty Pride joins the X-Men is that we find out that she's a mutant and she gets courted by two people. Xavier, who's like, hey, I run this school. You should come. Mm-hmm. It'll be chill. You have a lot of other mutants here and we're starting to get some like younger people. But the other person who's trying to like get her is this woman named Emma Frost. Mm-hmm. I know her. A- icon. Icon. Emma, Wait. who we get into what? Does Kitty Pride have she has a dragon, right? Does she have her dragon? Lockheed? Yet? No. That's later. Okay. Lockheed comes in later. Okay. Mm-hmm. I like that you know about Lockheed, though. Yeah, just from seeing pictures yeah. <laughs> of her with the dragon. I don't know what his deal is. Oh, my God. Okay, so basically... <laughs> oh, my God. What? <laughs> Nothing. Oh, man. So basically, Kitty gets introduced, and Emma is also trying to recruit her, and Emma's like putting on this whole thing. She's like, oh, yeah, I'm a cool, I'm a cool girl. You should come with me. And we eventually learn and are introduced to the Hellfire Club. Okay. So Emma's not... Emma shows up at the same time. Mm -hmm. We haven't met her in the comics yet. Yeah. And Emma is a villain, um, Mm -hmm. like, fully at this point. She works for the Hellfire Club. She works for Sebastian Shaw, who is Kevin Bacon in the movies. Winter Soldier? No. Isn't that his name? That's the actor. Sebastian Shaw? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Talk about Bucky I Barnes this from the record. Yeah, yeah, Bucky Barnes. Um, but so she works for Sebastian Shaw in the Hellfire Club. Sebastian uh-huh. Shaw, who is Kevin Bacon in the movies. Yes, they, he has the power of like being absorbing, radio, having radiation, radiation. No, or he something? absorbs like kinetic energy and then can like dole it out. Sure. <laughs> Listen, if we're gonna start like really going into the nitty gritty of their powers, it's we're fine. gonna be here for a while. Oh my god! Oh, this because you want to hear some more fun things about Omega level mutants. Um, yes. So you can have multiple powers. Jean Grey is okay. a person who has multiple powers. She is a tele. She has telekinesis, but also she is a telepath. Mm-hmm. Professor Xavier is just a telepath. He is an Omega level telepath. Telepath. Jean Grey is an Omega-level mutant, but not an Omega-level telepath. She is an Omega-level telekinetic. Okay. So, yeah. Who is there, like... Magneto is Omega-level? Is there, like, a board that decides what level you are? Like, how does this work? You know, writer like decides they like you. Can? Okay. Bobby gotcha. Drake will it's, eventually yeah. be uh, said to be an Omega-level mutant. Okay. He's just really fucking good at making ice. <laughs> I don't know. Somebody Omega deserved level ice maker. Somebody deserved said he deserves to be an Omega level mutant. Look at that yeah. ice powers. Whatever. It just means they were one of uh, they were a writer's favorite mutant. So Pretty much. Omega Let level. me tell you, cool. we will. So much of X-Men history is defined by who the writers like. Fantastic. <laughs> There's so many issues that happen because people are just like, I actually just like this character. So I'm going to throw out canon. <laughs> that just... actually rules. I like mm-hmm. that. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> that idea of how you run a series. Yeah. So 
So Kitty Pride shows up mm-hmm. and we get introduced to the Hellfire Club. And the Hellfire Club is basically like this, you know, stuck up rich club of people who are mostly mutants and they do evil. They are kind of a second. They play second villain kind of to the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Mm-hmm. Um, they act as like a similar thing, but they're they're less they're less like eth- they, they're less ethics based. Like when it comes down to it, Magneto has always been about like, I fight because I want to make like the world better and safer for my people because I have seen the horrors of what happens when like a government decides that a marginalized community is going to be the like the scapegoat. And he sees mm-hmm. that happening again. And he's like, humanity will never accept us. Our only like option is to fight back and like create a future for ourselves. The great on board. Magneto was right. Go Magneto. Um, and then basically the Hellfire Club is like, we will do anything for money and status. <laughs> we okay. will work with humans. We will work with the worst humans. Oh, okay. As long as we get to be on top. So they're just total nihilists. Oh yeah. Okay. They're the worst. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but eventually Kitty joins the X-Men. And then very quickly after the Dark Phoenix saga. We get thrust right into another, like one of the most iconic storylines of X Men history. Wait, let me th- let me think if I can think of any other ones. Because Chris Claremont does it involve Kitty Pride. It does. Is it to? I'm not going to know. Wait, is it about the island again? No. No. It's Days of Future Past. Oh yeah, I know that one. Mm-hmm. They made a movie about it. They did. Good job. <laughs> Wait, let me see if I can remember this. I remember this even less. Let than me the tell Phoenix you, Force. the movie is so much different. Great. Mm-hmm. So they go. Wait, is this where Cable shows up or Bishop? So listen, they go to the past. Both they go to the Bishop, future. Listen, both Bishop and Cable are X-Men from the future, from alternate timeline futures that do come back. Neither of them are from the days of future past one. Cool. Great. They go to the future and there's sentinels. Are there sentinels? Or is that just from the movie? Uh, There are sentinels, yeah. They go to the future and there's sentinels, which are machines that are made to hunt mutants. And they were made by a guy who I think was played by Peter Dinklage in the movie, but I can't remember his name. You're correct. And he is... I don't know. Does he just suck? Is he just a bad guy and he wants to... Okay, so basically what happens is... A Kitty Pride, an older version of Kitty Pride, shows up in the past. The modern day. Or the modern day. The, the like modern the, okay. 80s. Yes. By the way, we are now in the 80s. Oh. Mm-hmm. This Welcome is, to the 80s. This is like 81. Okay. She shows up and she goes to everybody and she's like, listen, guys, <laughs> shit's fucked up in the future. <laughs> the Sentinels... Which who are um, the Sentinels are government sanctioned robots that murder mutants. Mm -hmm. Um, She's basically like in the future, there's a nuclear holocaust and it destroys most of the world. And the United States basically blames the X-Men for it and mutant kind. So they Mm -hmm. invest more in the Sentinel program to wipe out mutants and they start internment camps across the globe to like take mutants and subjugate them and do all this. So obviously Kitty is like, that's not good. Let's not do that. Yeah. I really hate how much the metaphor is working Mm -hmm. for this. It's like, oh yeah, Mm -hmm. that sounds, yeah, 
that sounds, that sounds right. like a thing that's happening. Yeah. Uh, and basically what happens here is that Kitty comes and she's like, listen, what's going to happen is that there is a senator named Robert Kelly mm-hmm. who is like anti-mutant and he is going to get assassinated. And that's going to set us on a path of like this kind of government controlled like mutant genocide. So we need to make sure that doesn't happen. And there are two storylines that are happening. There's the future storyline and the present storyline. And they go back and forth. And Wolverine is a big deal in both of them. Um, and he has this cool leather jacket. Let's let's send you the. Uh... Yeah, I'm also realizing so, how similar the cover for the like famous cover for Days of Future Past is for it's so close to the Dark Phoenix one. Like, look at it. It's like the same vibe. Oh, yeah. This is yeah, a, it's similar again. I'm so this cover which is yeah, no, it's, a, it's a sick cover john byrne did so much of the covers for this time this is uncanny x-men 141 and it's such a cool cover it's so just like vibey you just have mm-hmm. old logan with white streaks on his hair wearing a leather jacket and he's protecting an older version of kitty and they have a spotlight on them that's from a sentinel and just in the back there's this huge poster and it's a list of all these x-men and they're all just like slain apprehended slain slain it's so good oh it's pretty sick i really like it so he's you said he's a big deal in the future and the present so are we following both old future wolverine and current wolverine so days or of future current past wolverine get sent to the future no days of future past okay. has both it like takes place okay. in both versions cool mm-hmm. and so it's like the present side that's like we need to stop this thing and then the other side being like we need to survive this apocalypse okay so the future Not ones are part though. of put a pin in that <laughs> i'm running out of pins so the future storyline they're not working with the present people to like help stop this no, they thing are. they're so just basically, doing their own thing. Uh, it is similar to the movies where basically kitty she's able to like her consciousness goes back and forth uh-huh so her consciousness basically gets sent back in time and she warns everybody. And then uh-huh. when they when they do finally succeed, her consciousness gets sent back to her to her time, the future. And present day Kitty, her mind gets wiped. She doesn't remember anything hmm. about what happened. Do okay. And what but happens everybody else is, knows what happened. Yes. So they they like tell her, hey, oh man, you you're not gonna believe what happened. But uh, <laughs> so basically what happens is all this all this stuff happens and the last thing that happens is that you seem to like it's shown to succeed or well, the present day X-Men succeed and Kitty seems to succeed in her mission. And so her consciousness is sent back to her time. And basically what happens is the comic ends with the X-Men just hanging out in the present day 80s. And they're all like, we have no way to know if we succeeded, actually. So mm-hmm. I guess we just have to sit here and wonder. Yeah, that's pretty intense. Chris Claremont, so he we, knew what the fuck he was doing, man. Yeah. So the comic doesn't sh- show you the the future, folks? Not like, after that. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. That's mm-hmm. smart. That's good. Okay. So now what happens is there are a couple very important things that happened right in the early 80s. One thing we need to talk about is we need to talk about Cyclops again. So Cyclops. And Ronald Reagan. What? And Ronald, and Ronald Reagan. Reagan? Very important thing that happened Let's in the Let's not 80s. talk about Ronald Reagan. He messed a lot of stuff up for a lot of people. Actually, uh, I'm going to hold off on Cyclops. 
Oh God, I thought you were going to say, actually, we do need to talk about we do Ronald need to talk. Reagan. This is a Call of Duty leave. situation. Ronald Reagan actually was very important. <laughs> um, so, okay, we're going to start unpinning things. So okay, you know how we great. started this conversation about that, um, the fucking uh, Republican in Florida saying, I do look at these mutants. Okay, let's pull that pin out. Because this is very apt for one of Chris, Chris Claremont's most iconic stories and one of the defining okay. stories. I say that with all of his stories, which is true. So basically, <laughs> here's what happens. I'm going to find the cover for this. Okay. He writes, or I'll show you one of the iconic panels. Okay. Wait, was did they make Richard Kelly the president in the X-Men movie? Or is this something else entirely? No, no, no. He does show up. He shows Am up. Am I opening a door that... We can't go. No, Robert yet. Kelly in the movies does show up. They use him and he becomes president. But if you remember in the movies, when he becomes president, that's not actually him. This is Mystique. Okay. Do you want to talk about Mystique? No. No? I want you to finish what you were talking about before. Okay. So, so basically, the next big thing that Chris Claremont does, basically, right around the time that he writes Days of Future Past, is separate from the uncanny X Men, like, issue by issue series he writes a singular graphic novel called god loves man kills and this is basically what happens is the enemy of this story is a reverend Mm -hmm. named reverend william Stryker, who oh it's very interesting because they transform Stryker into a general, into like a military yes. person. Yes, but, I remember this. But in the comics, Stryker is a reverend. He's a religious zealot, basically. He's just okay. a very like God-fearing, you know, kind of crazy guy who has this big following. So basically what happens is they Magneto at this time, who... By this point, Magneto starts kind of getting he's an anti-hero kind of they they show mm-hmm. him more in a kind light, like they kind of are very ethically like you see what he's doing. You are meant to question if Xavier is doing the right thing, because Xavier is always like, well, we can't fight the humans. We need to make them love us. And Magneto is like, Charles, you fucking child, Charles. He's like, Charles, this is why our relationship never worked out. First off, they're not canonically gay. They never have been, which is fucking bullshit. Mm -hmm. Eric and Charles, they they explored each other's bodies. Let's be real. (laughs) Anyways, so basically God Loves Man Kills. Magneto is, is like investigating a murder of mutant children. And he finds out that they were murdered by people at the order of William Stryker. Stryker, we learn he murdered his wife... And his son, who was just being born because he found out his wife was a mutant. He is a zealot. He wants the extermination of all mutant kind. He th- he's like, mm-hmm. basically, this is an idea of a fire and brimstone preacher. And he, he keeps being like, mutants are abominations. They are imps. They are demons. They are against God. And he goes on a television debate with Xavier and... He, at this point, nobody knows actually Xavier is a mutant. Like publicly, he's not. Mm -hmm. Charles isn't out. (laughs) And he he kidnaps him. And so the X-Men have to team up with Magneto. 
And it makes it, it's like it makes them question the idea of what is good versus evil if we can team uh-huh. up with the guy who's always been our enemy. And Stryker, this is basically happens in the movie. Stryker uses Charles to enact an agenda of murdering all of mutants worldwide. Yeah. This is so frustrating. This is like Charles Xavier agreeing to like do an interview with like Benjamin Ryan or something as the like If we just talk to them, they'll understand. This is yeah. why I hate fucking Charles. Absolutely. Charles is so behavior. annoying. Um <sighs> and basically what happens is like eventually they they like good guy it out. They they trick mm-hmm. Stryker into like admitting what he has done. Sure. And his plans, but then he gets shot. Because he he gets well, what happens is he tries to kill Kitty in public, okay. and he gets shot by a security guard, killing him. And then Magneto parts ways with the X Men, and Xavier in this graphic novel, he basically is like Magneto, like Eric, you could join us now. Like, look what we did together. Look at how ineffective I was. Don't you want to be a part of that? Yeah, and that's the thing. Basically, Magneto's like, did you learn nothing from this? Yeah. He's like, listen, you think you won, but Stryker won. Even though he's dead, he's a martyr. And everybody wants to believe in his cause now. And something that comes up out of this is an iconic panel. I'm going to send it to you now. Mm -hmm. And it's William Stryker, and he's pointing at Nightcrawler, who is an imp. And he says, Uh human, you dare call that thing human? Remind you of anybody? Yeah, it's very triggering, actually. Yeah, this is... Uh, So this is why God Loves Man Kills is incredibly, like, historic. It also is one of the most, like, blatantly political social comics Mm -hmm. that that was ever written at the time. And Claremont really, like... Claremont went off. Mm -hmm. So many of his stories to this point had been about space, about aliens, about future timelines. And then... In this graphic novel, which he had to make not a part of the the like series, he he did as own thing. Chris Claremont is basically like, listen, guys, I'm going to tell you all to your face. The problem is like zealotry and like dehumanization of people of like communities. Mm-hmm. Like, look what they do. This is not like, yeah. And here's why assimilation doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So, <sighs> yeah. So, are there other storylines that explore that idea? I mean, I'm sure there are, but. Other kind of like well-known and big ones that explore that idea of like Xavier being kind of an idiot and like hurting the cause. Like, oh, yeah. Like, does that come back a bunch or is it the kind of thing where they pull it out when they want to? But then when they don't want to talk about it, he's just a good guy again. So here's what I'll say. I think due to circumstances that we will talk about, Xavier doesn't get talked about much for a little bit. Hmm. um we will talk about that later it's like closer to the 90s some shit goes down um in hour three we'll get to that but exactly but like the idea of charles's dream charles's dream has always been a coexisting life for mutants and humans he thinks that peace is possible and it is a foolish dream (laughs) Um, it's a nice dream it's a nice dream but it's a foolish dream and this does come up a lot actually I mean, Charles's position as a as a leader is tied to this, so it becomes questioned a lot. Mm-hmm. His position as a teacher and someone who instills or tries to instill these ideas in the younger generation, it comes up a lot in the face of like 
horrible things that happen to the mutant like people and charles still sits there and he's like look look no we have to do peace we have to be the better people and a lot of like characters that come up eventually will be like charles like you need to get your head out of your ass like you're hurting us yeah and this is why people like trust magneto and especially especially because of Claremont, like writing Magneto as his villain who has a very ethical core. He knows why he's doing what he does. A lot of people go to him and are like, you know what? Like, yeah, you're right. Magneto was right. Yeah. In the 21st century, really investigating the the moral and ethical conundrum of Charles becomes a massive plot point for so yeah. many writers of X-Men. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So at this point in the story, like people are generally bigoted toward mutants, but not openly like attacking them. No, no. The, I mean, like, cause, cause why, so why is Charles like just allowed to like run the school if people know he's a mutant now? So like, I, why is it allowed to exist? So like, he doesn't, that kind of stuff. Char- Charles doesn't get out it actually. Oh, Stryker, during well, the... no, Stryker kidnaps him, but he doesn't like out him to people. Oh, I see. So yeah. Okay. So then that, like, yes, okay, that, like, completes the metaphor, that he's a person who is not living out, and he, like, is a person who's in a position of privilege, and so the people who are coming after mutants are coming after, like, probably, like, kids who can't defend themselves, and, like, unhoused people, and, it also you know, is people a thing, with other minority status that compounds it. This becomes a question that the X-Men talk about a lot, is, like, the the hierarchy of, of, of like, mutant powers mm-hmm. and issues, because... You will have characters like Beast. At this point, Beast goes through what they end up calling a second mutation, and he does become the big blue furry guy. Mm-hmm. And there are conversations about like Charles is a white man, like by all accounts. You look at him and he's just a guy. He's also a rich, well-educated guy who has had so much privilege in his life, and his mutant power does nothing to inhabit his lived existence and mm-hmm. how people perceive him. But somebody like Beast or somebody like, you know, even Toad or Mystique, who has to change herself to become like to, to not be clocked, if you will, these are all characters whose mutations physically change them to look dissatisfying to the general human public and they don't have an option to not like come out yeah and this is something charles people like start telling charles like listen you don't get it you don't really get all of this damn yeah so it's getting really real um (laughs) so when to like jump forward like when are other people coming in and writing stories as claremont is still in charge or does he just kind of like run x-men for a while pretty much right now he just runs it after his like run is done Mm -hmm. do do the writers who follow him basically just like immediately pick up the torch of that or is it the kind of thing where like sometimes it's just kind of superhero action and sometimes it's more political and mostly they pick up the torch the x-men has always been probably the most political comic that marvel has Mm -hmm. And most of the writers really face that because Claremont defined it as that in all of his storytelling. And to at this point, get away from that means like it it takes away from what the X-Men are. So he really did define the X-Men and all the writers who come after pretty much still do that. 
there will be some things that happen in the 90s that are a little different, mm-hmm. which we'll get on to. Okay. Kind of picking up back, we, we, I, I, I think I have an end point for us soon but we're not going to get there quite yet we have a little bit a little bit to talk about but i i'm yeah. i have where we're going to stop are you going to take us through like the claremont era no is that kind of i don't think we're going to finish claremont because claremont no. goes okay. up until like claremont controls most of the x-men until right before the end of the 20th century and we are still in the early 80s okay yeah great we're not through 10 years of like claremont yet buddy <laughs> Really scratch the surface. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm excited. Mm-hmm. All right, where where are we where are you getting okay. back in? So this is actually going to be interesting because up until this point, the X Men has really been Claremont writes Uncanny X Men. That is it. There's just one X Men book. All of this happens within the this, and then around the early '80s, kind of after Days of Future Past, after God Loves Man Kills, you get this point where everybody's kind of like, you know. We are starting to come up again on almost 10 years of X-Men. Maybe we need to freshen it up. Maybe we need some new mutants. Yeah. Pull that pin out. <laughs> so you pull that pin out. So basically what happens here is that you get new mutants. This is a comic called New Mutants. And the you idea mutants, is you get new the idea is that Claremont and people looked at the book and they were like, you know, something that we don't have that was a bit of a core principle of the earlier comics before Claremont even came on is that they were kids. The OG five X-Men were all teenagers when they were doing these heroics. And there was something about that. And Claremont's kind of like, we need a new, you know, we need a new guard of X-Men who are young and hip and cool. So we're going to create the new mutants. And here, this is where you get people like... Cannonball gets introduced, Mirage, who's Danny Moonstar, you get Karma, you get Wolfsbane, you get Sunspot, and all my faves. You get Magic. Okay. Who I will talk about Magic a little bit because Magic is also top tier. So, Go. Wait, so the New Mutants, is this this is like still the main X-Men series? They're just introducing lowercase new mutants no so this is capital new capital mutants this is the first other x-men book that is not uncanny x-men so uncanny and new mutants so like if you have like a timeline it's like you have Mm -hmm. uncanny x-men written by chris claremont and that just goes and then in 1983 it's like okay we're gonna have uncanny x-men but also we're gonna have new mutants both mm-hmm. are still written by Claremont. Okay. So he introduces magic also. And I imagine they interact. Sometimes, not okay. too much. It's kind of like you have the X, uncanny X-Men, which is like, this is where you also start getting the idea of like uh, the two aspects of the X-Men and of the end of Charles's like vision. You have the X-Men, the team who are like the, they fight to protect mutants. They're doing the super heroics and you have the young, the young guard of kids who do need a school who need to be taught. Mm -hmm. And so that is the like school aspect, although they still do some super heroics, but it's like, they're also kids. That's part of the story. And you get magic who magic is a great character because magic has a wild storyline where magic is actually the sister of Colossus. 
<laughs> Magic is Alana Rasputin. She's a sister of Colossus. And as a kid, Al- Alana gets, Ilyana, she gets kidnapped by a demon. And she gets taken to a realm called Limbo. Sorry, is that a thing that this just happens this just in happens. the X-Men yeah. comics? Okay. Just happens. So That's because fine. they do take place within the larger Marvel universe and every once in a while sure. they do interact. But so magic does exist and like demons do exist. And mm-hmm. Ileana gets captured by by a demon. She gets taken to limbo. And while there, she suffers like she basically gets tortured as a child. She's like she's she's kind of the like the ward of this demon but he's a demon so you know he's fucked uh-huh. up so she's just a kid at this yes. point she hasn't she's been a literal like child. manifesting mutant powers no she's a literal child <laughs> but two things happen she manifests her mutant power which her mutant power is the ability to like create teleportation portals mm-hmm. she also learns demonic magic hell yes so she also becomes a sorcerer she also gets a bitchin sword Oh, I think she's my favorite X-Men. Oh, this this homosexual? Like, okay, so many of so many of the X-Men are homosexuals, but <laughs> she specifically is a big old homosexual. I love her so much. She is Is that going to be one of the um the branches of the X-Men comics, the homosexual X-Men? I really let me tell you. I have pitched That's this be idea i have pitched this idea so Holy much shit this is magic yep, she's my favorite she's badass she holds the soul sword good for her which is linked to her actual soul it's like a manifestation of her soul and basically magic gets eventually she defeats the demon she takes over as the ruler of limbo so she's a badass yeah and she comes out I love her and she's aged up she's a teenager now and like a month has passed in the regular world Oh, wow. Okay. So she pops out and Colossus is like, holy shit. <laughs> Everybody's like, holy shit, you are a baby. And she's like, yeah, I've seen some shit, guys. I now rule a demon realm and I have a cool sword. And they're like, okay, you want to go hang out with all these other teenagers with like trauma and powers? <laughs> and they're like, yeah. So then you become the new mutants and they get their own storyline. They're the hip crowd. Yeah. yeah. And they're, they're awesome. They still are around they're cool i'm assuming none of them are as cool as magic because that's really hard to talk okay some of them are really cool danny's a really cool character she has this awesome plot line called the demon bear saga or is there's, just, there's a lot of demons in the new there movements. are a lot of demons with the, you know it's i don't know what to tell you man no it's that wasn't a complaint basically the demon bear haunts danny danny moonstar danny she she's a Did you say demon bear demon bear it's a bear that's a demon yeah okay so danny she has the she has the ability to um she has she's a telepath but also she has the I, the ability to like she controls emotion but mostly she controls fear so she can create mm-hmm. projections of people's fears she's really cool they're all great <laughs> you have wolves oh wolfsbane who is a scottish werewolf fuck yeah she is she's so fun in the way the best part about writing accents in comics is that they write out the accent. So uh-huh. they just they just give her the stupidest like written accent. Should I read New Mutants? This sounds sick as hell. I mean, I'll give you a reading list after. Don't worry. 
Amazing. Yeah, now that I've now that I've introduced it to you on my terms, you're allowed to actually read it. Here's this great <laughs> panel of Rain. So Wolf Spade, her name is Rain. Um, this okay. is a picture of her just as a wolf, and she's a little dog puppy. It's adorable. I I'm skeptical about this this drawing of a wolf. Its legs look like the way that you would draw like a deer's legs. Okay. Like it just seems like it was drawn by a person who only has a vague idea of what a wolf uh-huh. looks like. My favorite part of this is that. Her superpower is that she is a werewolf. It's not yeah, like a power. folklore werewolf, like she was bitten by a werewolf. It's just her mutant power is, yeah, you're a werewolf. <laughs> Sometimes your mutations just kind of line up with shit we already had stories for. Yeah, exactly. Um, Are there any vampire mutants? Oh, I don't know how we would count. Because here's the thing. There are vampires within the Marvel Universe. Right, right, okay. I don't know if you could... So you could just be a vampire. Yeah. I don't think we can call any mutants vampires. Some of them have vampiric-like abilities, like sucking energy, but they're not quite traditional vampires. Okay, sorry. I'm distracting us. Let's get back to the topic at hand, which was the New Mutant storyline has begun. Magic has returned from Limbo. So they just... They kick ass. They're kids. They have a lot of fun. They do shit. It's awesome. And then... In the uncanny X-Men, the next big thing that happens, and we're going to we're going to end on this tease. So our buddy Cyclops, he's been really depressed, very Uh depressed because his his because his girlfriend turned the love of his life is dead herself. Yeah. So he is not part of the X-Men. He's just walking around, hanging about, trying to get over it. I don't know. He has a sad dad bod and stuff with his eyes. Yeah. And then. He's walking around and he happens to run into this woman named Madeline Pryor. And the funny thing about Madeline Pryor is that she happens to look exactly like Jean Grey. Dun, dun, dun. And in the background, a man named Sinister cackles as his evil plan unfolds. Sorry, a man named Sinister? Yeah. And I well. think that is where we're going to end. Right before okay. we get into Sinister and Madeline Pryor. All right. Mm-hmm. So that is wow. uh, that is the girl mode extravaganza part one. God, my head is full of X-Men knowledge. We're still in the 80s, man. Like, can Good you look 80? We're like we're, in 84. Yeah, like 84 uh-huh. is where this is. Okay. Don't worry. The 90s will go quick. <laughs> Not a lot of good stuff happened in the 90s. There's some uh, there's some clunkers there. Okay. There's some so wild storylines, but like they're not great. But we'll talk yeah. about them. It'll be fun. Yeah. So Claremont starts in this in Claremont 75, starts 75. And he goes all the way through. So he's writing some of those clunkers. Oh, yeah. He writes some of those clunkers. Okay. You can't win them all. No, sure. I mean, yeah. you know, th- 30, 30 years on, 20 year, 25 years on, you're going to you're going to have, you know, a bad day. Yeah. You're going to run out of gas eventually. So. Wow. How do you feel about the X-Men? so far um good it's it's like uh i think this is a great way to experience the x-men because it means i don't have to read several hundred episodes uh or issues that i can only imagine are not all as exciting as they are just having them explained to yeah. you i will say I think, for for people yeah. who are actually interested in like getting a lowdown on x-men history but don't want to deal with like actually reading all of the x-men comics or even reading like the highlights there's a really really great comic 
called X-Men Grand Design, which is a six-issue comic. Oh, that's when they renovate a house, right? I hate you. X-Men Grand Design was a book from 2018. It's a six-issue book, and basically what it is, is it's it's a history lesson for the X-Men. They condense okay. all of X-Men history into these like into this one graphic novel with the highlights. It's really great. So for people who, you know, don't have me to yell history of X-Men at you, read it. It's very There's fun. poor people. Yeah. Are you excited to hear what happens next? God, I am on pins and needles. I know. You're on I many pins. All these pins out that we put in and now I've added needles. To There's them. still pins in the in the corkboard. There's so many yeah. pins in the corkboard. We need a new corkboard just to hold all these extra fucking pins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this was good. I learned. I learned a lot. I retained some of it. There will be a quiz. I just, uh, yeah, I'm impressed and terrified mm-hmm. of, of the knowledge that you hold in your brain. We're just scratching the surface. So other than, uh, apparently there's been room in your brain for other things aside from X-Men knowledge. Mm-hmm. So what else have you been getting up to this week that you want to tell us about? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to actually talk about two things. Okay. The first is that Right now, at time of recording in New York, it is like cherry blossom season at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden, mm-hmm. which the Brooklyn Botanic Garden is my favorite place in all of New York. And in the spring, the cherry blossoms blossom and they have this beautiful garden. They have two massive areas with the cherry blossoms. There's a Japanese garden around a pond where they have a bunch. And then they have this big green like gar- or like area called the Cherry Esplanade where they have like 40 cherry blossom trees all in a line and they all bloom. And so today they like all of cherry esplanade just bloomed. And so I went out there today and I got to walk around and look at all the beautiful flowers. And it made me really, really happy. I just walked around and I listened to Studio Ghibli soundtracks and it felt very aesthetic (laughs) and I felt joy and not stressed and then i bought a cute hat that i sent you a picture of and it just has a little Mm -hmm. cherry blossom on it um it's a very cute hat so that's the first thing uh touch grass yeah i don't know if you do if you do have any area around you that has cherry blossoms still uh go to them they're so beautiful or just go outside and look at pretty things but the other thing is actually a game so that we can mm-hmm. actually talk about games on this podcast. Oh, yeah. But over the weekend, I have been playing uh, this visual novel called Misericord or a Misericord. The way that I kind of like summarize it is it's a 15th century murder mystery that takes place in a convent and it stars mostly all young nuns. It's incredibly well written. Like I, I messaged you because I was mm-hmm. like, "Wow, I love a game that sends me from like laughing hysterically to crying, like just sobbing openly in the span of like ten minutes." The writing of this game is so exceptional. The story mm-hmm. is great. the The only warning I have to some people who are lame and don't like visual novels, uh, like Zoe. <laughs> Uh, those who are not a friend of girl mode (laughs) is that this is like a straight up visual novel. You don't have any ability to like choose anything. Like there's no choosing dialogue options. There's no choosing where you go. Mm. You follow the story as it is written, but it is so well written. It's a very interesting game. It's, it's really long. Like I'm like Mm -hmm. seven hours in, I want to say. And 
I don't think we're close to being done yet. It is the, so it's volume one. The creator of it seems to be like, they'll release more. I don't know how many volumes it's going to be, but uh, it's really good. It's like less than 10 bucks on steam and itch. It is fantastic. I highly recommend you play it. But yeah, what about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for Misericord. I, I want to play it as well. And especially after your recommendation, mm-hmm. it sounds great. Um, I will also recommend going outside and touching grass. It's been uh, a really beautiful couple of days. But my, my game recommendation is we can stretch it and tangentially relate it to that. Uh, I've been playing a game called Terra Nil, which uh, the developers have been pitching as sort of a reverse city builder. So the idea is like you start with like it's like an, you know, an isometric kind of like city building, you know, kind of strategy game. But you start with basically just a complete wasteland. And your goal in the game is rather than building up like this settlement like you do in most games of this type, the idea is to use these machines to restore the environment that's been like destroyed by like humanity basically and so it's a process of like planting of putting down these machines that like pull toxin out of the out of the soil so that then you can grow grass and you can use like wind and geothermal power to to power all these different machines that will like grow forests or depending on the map you're on like add uh start like coral reefs or like melt or create snow so there's like four different biomes you can you work with and the goal is to undo the damage that's been done to the environment and then restore the environment to like actually existing like to its previous state and the final step of every uh every stage is recycling all the buildings that you built so you leave no trace of your having been there while you bring wildlife back uh so that they are able to like you know make the ecosystem function on its own and along the way there's all these things that you're balancing like the humidity and temperature of these environments to make sure the climate is like, you know, in order. The, the cool part with that is like a lot of those are optional objectives. So like getting to like temperature and humidity goals. And those will just give you these little effects like at a certain level, like dragonflies will start appearing in marshes or on there's like a tundra level where like the aurora borealis will show up. And those are like totally optional, but just kind of an interesting thing to add. And then at the end of each level, my the I like laughed when I first saw this. Like you finish the level and and you leave and everything's gone and it's all the wilded again. And you can go like continue to the next level. But there's also a button that just labeled appreciate, and you can click that button and the camera will just kind of like zoom over this map that you made and show you these really pretty views of like everything that you've made. I've heard people talking about this online. They've like other people have mentioned this as well. But what I really want is for a function to like see that whole process like sped up, you know, just see from from wasteland to your final product. Yeah. That would be very cool. But this is already pretty cool. I do have there are some issues with it with like, there's a lot of things where you need things need to be in certain range of each other to work. And it can be kind of fuzzy to tell what where those ranges are as you're placing things. I also had like, especially in the final biome, a lot of things where it's like this has to go in an ocean tile. But there will be like 30 of those on the map. And only six of them are placeable for reasons that are like completely undiscernible to me so there's sometimes where it feels like it's really not giving you direction like what you need or there's something going wrong and it's not recognizing that things should be buildable in places where they are and stuff like that's annoying it's also like the message of the game is kind of muddy like it doesn't it is like a sort of overall like an environmentalist sort of message to the game but it doesn't really have much to say about it it just sort of is that's the setting so if you're going and expecting it to really like 
have an interesting story or like to have a good viewpoint on that, that's not really there. It's kind of more just that's the background it's taking place in. It's a chill thing that you're like, it just feels nice to do. So I recommend it, like just kind of going with those caveats. But uh, I've, other than those things, I have, I have really been enjoying it. Yeah. I mean, I've heard people really like it. So mm-hmm. that's a nice idea. I really like the like concept. Totally. Yeah. If nothing else, it's good to see uh, one of these kind of, because this is the type of game that I really like, but I do, it does kind of rub me the wrong way that so much of them are just like pro industrialization, you know? And this one is, this one is at least a little kinder and gentler, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, but yeah, until the next, uh, the next adventures of the X-Men, Stay tuned. I, yeah, I guess that'll be it for girl mode. Uh, you can listen to us anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can find us on Twitter at girl mode underscore pod and on co-host at girl mode dash pod. I am on d- both of those places at the Willow Row. And I am at Robin Bombas. And, uh, you know. See you later. Is there like an X-Men quote we can end this with? I don't know. A, I don't know a cool. To me, my X-Men. Perfect. Why do they go to the future? Why don't they try to fight it? Do they get taken to the future? Listen. Tell me about the future. Okay. (sighs) (laughs) This is great. Is this helping? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. Okay. Okay. I need a break. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, no, it's funny. You've been working hard. You got to cool your CPU down with that iced coffee.